You're listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. In the blue corner, we've got Mr. Carl supporting Tottenham. In the red corner, we've got Mr. Kenner's supporting Arsenal. Together, they will be discussing all of your football views, all of your football news. So join us here on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Hello and welcome to what is episode 20 of Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm joined by Steve Kenner's Kenton. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Chris. And also joining us, friend of Steve's, Mitch, who is an Arsenal fan. Hello, Mitch. Hi, how are you? Very good, thank you for joining us. And as ever as well, of course, Jeff Saunders, West Ham Jeff. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Chris. Good to be here. Right, let's get started. We're in the middle of an international break, so I think we're going to start with that. But before that, according to tradition, let's have Jeff's trivia question first. We're used to players scoring a lot a lot of goals in a match. And the, the record for the most number of goals in an English match is nine. Ah, yes, and I know who this is as well. Go on then. Ted McDougall versus no. uh, no. Bournemouth. Uh, that was an Bournemouth. FA Cup match. I said league oh, match. League match. Robert Bell of Tranmere against Oldham in 1935. Oh. McDougall got nine yeah. in an FA Cup game against Margate in, in 71. Indeed. Nine is a lot. Now, Blackburn winger Morton Gamst-Peterson once scored six goals in one match, which doesn't sound so great compared to those who got six, seven, and nine. So why is that six goals in one match unique? Absolutely no idea. That's a great answer, because that allows me then to say the answer at the end of the show. (laughs) Let's move on then, shall we, and uh, talk a little bit about what's been happening in the international sphere, because we're in the middle of an international break. It is Euro qualifiers. England, Steve, lost their first ever qualifier for 10 years. It was away from home to the Czech Republic. Let's go around the table and have a little sort of, you know, because we all watch the game, you know, an hour and a half of my life, I'll never get back. What were your impressions of the game? After about 45 minutes when I did actually wake up, um, it was actually a dreadful game for England. Well, from an English perspective, it was a dreadful game. It was anodyne, it was sterile. There was just nothing to it at all. Um, The defence looked shabby. The attack, there just didn't seem to be anything. There was nothing coming through midfield. There was no creativity and there were square pegs in round holes. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't understand why you pick players based on their club performance and then play them out of position like Jadon Sancho. It was nonsense. He's a wide right player. He's been the best player in the Bundesliga this season. So he has him playing inside right so Trippier can overlap. Why not just let the two of them sort it out together on the pitch? Because that's what they've been doing since they started playing football. They know how to do this. And I think what we saw were a bunch of players who didn't understand what they were supposed to do. Another point which uh, player-wise I don't quite get is uh, Jordan Pickford. The guy has a shot on goal, the ball's at the back of the net and he's diving like he's doing a swan dive across the net just to make himself look good. I just don't understand how he gets in that team when there's other keepers around like Pope, Heaton, yes. who, do, who are shot stoppers, and the idea of a goalkeeper is to stop shots. First and foremost, yes, absolutely. That's the first thing you've got to do. Yeah. Pickford, I think he's picked because his distribution is excellent, and and it is. It's superb. But your first job is it's like it's like picking a like like picking a defender because he's a great ball player. Well, he's got to be a good defender first, and a goalkeeper's got to be a good shot stopper. Pickford is is an example of of something which happens a lot with English players. They get picked quite young and then it, it becomes almost impossible to drop them for some reason. When did Pickford become a great goalkeeper? If you're going to be undroppable, it's got to be because you're great. You're a Salatan Ibrahimovic or something, yeah. and he's not. He's been as flaky in the last season and a half as David De Gea for Manchester United has. But, you know, both... Yeah, but Pickford is, is just... 
it was a mystery to me. And, and Henderson, when did Henderson become an international class player? I missed it completely. Yeah, but the, tr- the trouble is there isn't actually anybody else but Henderson who is any better than Henderson in that position at the moment, which shows how poor we are in that particular sphere of the of the midfield. Can we just have a, a little talk about Declan Rice? Because, Jeff, you're a bit of a fan of his. The shape that Southgate played, he played different defenders than he has before, different shape in general. Declan Rice looked lost. I think his partnership there as well with Henderson, wasn't it? They just didn't seem to gel. What do you, is that something to do with Rice? Is he not ready for England? Or is it something to do with Southgate? I, I think most of the, the, the people who know, the managers and coaches and people, said he's played very well for England. I think he has. And I think he's played well this season. But if you, if you go from a 4-1 to a 4-2, then the two holders have got to work together and they clearly didn't you you could see every time the the uh, the checks got the ball there wasn't a back four in a line which you know arsenal fans know all about it's how you defend but there wasn't it was a zigzag there was the two weren't in a line they did not know what to do they it's like it hadn't been rehearsed enough in training maybe southgate decided the night before or something but it was it wasn't working and I think what you then see is particular individuals then don't look very good because they put themselves in a position to do something and it doesn't work. Also a point is England are under Southgate, 38% of the goals they've conceived have been for set pieces. That has to be addressed as well. That's over a third. Sorry, conceived or conceded? Oh, conceded. <laughs> Did I say conceived? You said conceived, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's probably, it's probably 68% of conceived from set pieces. Yeah. You, you would think that of all the nations in the world, England should not be beaten on the corners, goals from corners and things. Really, really yeah, shock. I mean, not only can they not take them, they, they can't conceive them either. <laughs> <laughs> but if we're, if, we're, if we're conceding goals through set pieces... Uh, you've you've obviously got to look at Harry Maguire. You've got you've you've really got to look at our centre backs and and also, you know, is zonal marking uh, an option for England given the, the the players that we have? Were they zonal marking? <laughs> See, well, I was supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was supposed to be zonal marking, but it it clearly wasn't happening. And also playing with as we said off air, two two holding midfielders. Why are we playing with two holding midfielders against the Czech Republic, who are a good side, but they're not a side that we shouldn't be besting? Well, the, the reason for playing two holding midfielders was there was a lot of pressure to get Mason Mount into the team, and, and I think he should have played. Mm, yeah. So so Southgate went all protective. Oh, if we've got this attacking midfielder going forward, we need more defence to to cover up for him. I think that's all the thinking was. I mean, it's, it's nonsense thinking, it's, but it, I think that's yeah, what it, it was. It's completely ludicrous because ultimately, you know, your best form of defence is, is to attack. Well, as as we've seen in football for the last fifteen years, yeah. Uh, so, what did we what did we make of the Czech Republic as as an opposition? I think they showed a lot more flair going forward, a lot more imagination. You're you're talking about players that play in the top leagues around the world, so they're not playing in their own league, coming up against the Premier League players. They're playing in the Premier League. They're playing in La Liga, uh, Serie A, Ligue One, if you like, and others where they're playing against good players. We go out. And when you put all that together with their experience, if there were, let's say, a lesser nation five, six years ago, that gels and becomes a unit that moulds and builds up over the period of time. And then it's like as if England has stagnated. How many of the England team play in Spain, Germany, Italy, 
They are playing in what is supposed one. to be the greatest Jordan league in the Sancho. world, though. Yeah, one thing to remember about the Czech Republic is they, they have made the final of uh, an international competition more recently than England has. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, because several other countries have as well. There's an interesting stat, actually, in relation to England playing in Prague. We haven't actually won in Prague for 111 years, believe it or not, when, when, when um, we beat Bohemia, 1908. Well, you mean we, you mean England? Yeah. No, Steve was there. Yeah. <laughs> it was a cheeky 1-0 win. Vivian Woodward scored. Thank you very much for that for that memory. <laughs> so, yeah, the Czech Republic, then, from what Mitch was just saying there, the Czech Republic better than we possibly thought they were, or England, we think they're better than they actually are? Both. We're expecting too much, are we, as usual? I just think when England walk on a football field, they think that, Regardless, all right, if they're not playing an Argentina or a Brazil we are, or an Italy, France, I think when they walk on the field against, if you like, let's just not even, it's not even right to say the second division of European nations, but let's say the Czech Republics, uh, the Albanians and all them, they think they've got the given right that once we walk on that field, three points are ours. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to break into a sweat. It's just a given that we know we're going to score because we've got Kane up front or, or whoever else. Whereas these other nations, they keep their players much the same and eventually it clicks, gels. It's like if you go back to the Brazil team of 1970, yeah, in my opinion, the greatest team ever to walk on a football field. Agreed. Without a doubt. Yeah. But if you went back with that team four years, they were getting beat by Chile, by Peru. And eventually, two years down the line, it gelled and it clicked and they became the team that is known as the greatest, that will yeah. never be emulated. The the thing about that team, aside from being top to toe with a buffer goalie, fantastic world-class players, they worked much harder. Pe- people who've done the studies and looked at them, they ran much further than anybody else in that World Cup. Exactly. They worked exactly. harder, they and it wasn't more. And it wasn't about Pele either. No. It wasn't about him. You had no, he was Revelino, Jairzinho, Tostal, and all of the others. And, and Jess, Jason was fantastic. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. God. I mean, if that team was in its peak yeah. today, playing against any nation in the world... It would wipe the floor with them. Well, the, the, wipe they, the they wipe the floor with, with with Italy in the World Cup final. Yeah, Nobody know. wipes the floor with Italy. No, that was no a training time. session. Under Catanaccio, nobody scores yeah. four goals against Italy. It was just... Back in it, those days, you no. just wasn't heard of. It was, no, it didn't happen. But not just to do that, but to, the, the Italy were chasing shadows for all bar three or four minutes in that time where they scored their goals. Steve, from what Mitch and Jeff are just saying there, is football levelling out? Because, for example... Brazil, yesterday or the day before, drew one all with Nigeria. A couple of days before that, Jay drew one all with Senegal. They're not as good as in the days of Pelé, etc. France narrowly beat Iceland with a dodgy penalty in the Euro qualifiers. Is there a bit of levelling out? You know, Andorra uh, winning a qualifier, all that kind of thing. Uh, England not progressing and get, getting better. Everybody else is catching up with them. For, uh, uh, well, the football's definitely levelling out. Uh, but then you've got a lot of players from various other, what we term smaller nations, playing in the top leagues now. And I think that that's an asset to those international sides. The, the, we've, we've got players now playing in the top leagues that are, uh, ordinarily we wouldn't have seen 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So, yeah, there is definitely a levelling out of the sport. Let's keep our attention on England for the time being. Well, as we're recording this, England play Bulgaria in Bulgaria tonight. So I don't know if we're going to have a little prediction on that one. You know, England's still joint top of the group along with the Czech Republic. There's no panic here. We are going to qualify, but it's how we set up for those 
finals because I don't think that performance on Friday was it looked flat. Now is it is it because the players are trying to avoid getting injured or is it just because they're not they're just not internationals these players? I think most of that eleven are are, are internationals. They just didn't understand what they had to do. I don't think you need to say much more about that. Performance. I, I I feel we're going to see more of the same against Bulgaria tonight. I don't think Southgate's going to change that too significantly. Oh, I think he is. You think so? Well, there's rumours of him playing Harry Winks. And, and mm. how the hell does Harry Winks get in an England team? At <laughs> that, that shows how bad we were the, yeah, I mean, <laughs> in, the other day. He's been one of the worst players in a bad in a Spurs team that's playing very badly. And yet he'll he'll probably start tonight. But I think what we saw the other what we saw the other night was exactly the same as what we saw in the World Cup. Mm. First time we came up against a, a decent, well organised team, we struggled. Mm. And that's been the case as long as I can remember. It does make you wonder whether we should be starting with Harry Kane. I think Harry Kane, great striker as he is, no no criticism of him as a striker, but I think against certain defences, he struggles to unlock those defences. Blaming the striker is always difficult. I, I, I agree with you. I don't. Th- I think he should be dropped on form, and um, the, the Chelsea lad should have should have started. Mm, yeah. Uh, t- t- Tammy, uh, Tammy then Abraham. It, yeah. Then it gave Southgate the chance. If that didn't work, to bring Kane back in, and if you like, mm. solve the problem. I, I'm inclined to agree with that. I mean, I, I, at the moment on form, Tammy Abraham is a striker. You'd all you'd start with. You just would. The the thing I like about Tammy Abraham is. I think he's got the one thing which is the most valuable thing you can have as a striker. I think he's lucky. He scores yeah. some horrible goals, and that's fantastic. I no, Kane seems to be going for just trying to score good goals all the time. Yeah, he, he's like but Abraham's has got a physicality about him yeah. as well, where Kane falls over quite easily. Well, Kane seems to have taken himself away from being a number nine to try and drop back and be a number ten. Because yeah. you know, I think somebody told him he was the new Sheringham or something, and and he likes the <laughs> really? idea of that. Yes, <laughs> and he likes the idea of that. Yeah. Whereas no, you're just a striker. Just get in there. Get, where the ball's going to I mean, be. in the defence of Kane, I would say, if you don't give him the ball, he ain't going to do anything oh, with it. I mean, yeah. that's that's a given whichever centre forward Yeah, I mean, is. The, the, the sad but thing is Kane is the best crosser of the ball in the England team. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. The the irony is, I think, at the last four or five goals that he's scored, I think 70% of them have been penalties. They've not been from open play. As a Tottenham fan, in defence of Harry Kane, in that England game, I think what you're saying, Jeff, I I'm not sure if he likes playing the number 10 and he just drifts back to it. I think he's been told to do that by Southgate. I think Southgate somehow sees him in that role. And I think Mitch is right. He's, he's that kind of forward that you need to get the ball to him. Yeah. And if you can't even get the ball out of defence or you're losing the ball in midfield, that ain't going to happen. If your number one player is a striker, you can't expect him to drop 40, 50 yards to pick a ball up. We'll go off the England. If, if you took a Bamiyang at Arsenal or Lacazette, they don't come back into their own half to get the ball. They hang up there. The ball's put up to them. They get the ball. Bang, they have an attempt on goal. Kane should be doing the same thing. You can't take your centre forward and bring him back behind the midfielders or alongside them to get the ball. Because when it is pushed forward, he's 30 yards behind it. Well, and the other issue is that as a striker, you should go up there. The first thing you should do is bang into the centre half. Yeah, get, let him get, know he's there. Get Say their, hello, get welcome to the game, and yeah. get and get yeah. the two of them following him about, and that creates the space for, for the other Sterling players. and the other players. Yeah, exactly. But we don't. We're too gentlemanly like on the field. But it was down to it's what Chris said. It's down to what Southgate told them to do. He set them up in this formation which didn't work. Then he had Kane dropping back to take the space away from anyone in England midfield who needed it. 
It was just nonsense. All right, let's take a little pause there uh, because next week, on the next week's show, we're going to have footballer John Gidman, uh, who played, of course, for Manchester United, Aston Villa, Everton and Manchester City. And John Gidman and uh, fellow footballer Steve Staunton are going to be doing a charity event here on the Costa del Sol at Scandals in Calahonda. It's a charity event on the 19th of October to raise money for Prostate Cancer UK. It's a question and answer evening compared by Steve Owen. If you'd like more details, you can get to uh, the Scandals Facebook page by searching Scandals Bar, Lounge and Restaurant. So that is a charity event for Prostate Cancer UK at Scandals this Saturday, the 19th of October at 7pm with football legends John Gidman and Steve Staunton. And while we're on the subject of home nations and England's drop-in form, if you like, well, it's the first time they've lost in 10 years, so it's a kind mm. of drop-in form as far as qualifiers go. Uh, let's move on to the other home nations, because, Steve, you've got a little bit of a, an opinion about Scotland. Oh, dear. 6-0 win. That's not going to pay for over the cracks, is it, Chris? Do you know, I'll, I'll watch them against Russia. 4-0 defeat. I'll tell you what, they, they started OK. First half, they were they were OK. Second half, complete capitulation. Defence was all over the place. I mean, it was being sliced open time and time again by the Russian uh, midfield and the attack. And I tell you what, Russia could have had six or seven. It, it, that was that would not be an underestimation. The one thing I would say is, is I hope people don't turn around to start blaming Steve Clark because he's only just taken the job and he's taken on a, a horrendous set of players. And it can't. It's not down to him. It's the, the players yeah. just appear not to be trying. He's, he's got a poison chalice there. I mean, it's interesting, the, the demise of Scotland, a, a Scottish international side, you know, the, even the Scottish league format, it, it's just without wishing to sound insulting, it's just ever so poor. There's no no real reason to, to understand as to why that is happening. Well, I think there is a reason for it. If you go back to when, when we were young, so this is an old man's conversation, every successful team had a core of Scottish players in it. They had a midfielder, yeah. they had an inside forward, they had a good defender. That doesn't happen anymore, does it? And it hasn't happened for 15 to 20 years. And the reason is, when money started coming into football, Scandinavians particularly started going over into the Scottish League and using it as a, win, a, a shop window to, to get, get into, into the, the Premier, Premier League. League. Or other leagues around so, Europe, yeah. So the Scottish players, young Scottish players, aren't getting the chance in the Scottish Premier League teams that they used to get. They're now full of, of Europeans. It's interesting because even, even from a goalkeeping perspective, they've never had a goalkeeper. I can't think of one. George Wood, who played for Everton, was a was Are we talking one. the same George Wood that played for Arsenal? Yeah. Teflon. Well, no, he was, he was all right. He was all right for Everton. Yeah? Yeah, he was. He, he played was for Arsenal. We called him Teflon because yeah. everything you get him bounced off of him. It was non-stick. He couldn't catch cold. There you go. Maybe they should get Jermaine Defoe to go from being English to Scottish. That might help their situation. I don't think even Super <laughs> Def- I don't think even Defoe can save them. Steve, you said it was a poison chalice. It, it, it is, but without the, the chalice. It's not even... It's, there's nothing yeah, good about that Yeah, job, I mean, I, when, when I look at the Scottish uh, Scottish League, there, there, there's a real dearth of... of, of talent there the Scottish League has always had some reasonably decent sides as Jeff pointed out when we were younger you know you had Dundee United or Dundee Aberdeen Heart of Midlothian Rangers Celtic Rangers obviously pushed out of the uh, out of the Scottish Leagues had to make their way back in again it's left basically uh, Celtic holding the fault for the entire the leagues in Scotland and so I, th- I think there's a real dearth of money dearth of talent Consequently, Scottish international side is suffering. Uh, let's move on uh, quickly to Wales under the tutelage of Ryan Giggs. Mm. <laughs> I say tutelage, he's there. They've got Gareth Bale. 
Yeah, they need What else can you say about Wales? That's about <laughs> it, really, isn't it? They sometimes have Aaron Ramsey when he's not injured. They, they needed battle against uh, against Croatia. Mind you, that was a decent result. One all draw. It's not a bad result against uh, World Cup finalists. Well, it's better than England did. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The game against Slovakia, another one-all draw. They're, they're sitting in fourth place on eight points. Wales are a better side than that. Well, Wales are actually, when you look player for player, they're actually a decent team. So that's that's okay. I think the the one thing which has come out of the last two weeks is is a, a very sort of heavy set of ironies that Ryan Giggs wants these players to play for Wales and the, the players' teams don't want them to play for Wales. And he's now having to beg for players to come and play when he was the worst culprit of all in not turning up for Welsh internationals. Yeah. Him and Fergie saying, no, 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 you you don't play. So it's the bite a bit, isn't it? Yeah, I think this is the way football is going in general. I think a lot of players just do not want to play friendlies full stop across the board. I don't think it's just specifically um, a, a Welsh problem. Yeah, but these weren't friendlies. These are competitive. No, matches. I know. I know. This makes it even worse. I think a lot of that comes down to when you say like the Fergusons back then, even clubs now, at the end of the day, it's the clubs who are giving them 200 grand a week, not not their national team, you know? And if you're paying someone 200 grand a week and he says, oh, I'm going to go abseiling next week, you're going to say, hang on a minute, fella. It's not going to happen, you know? I need you for the Saturday game, which in the long run is worth more to me because I want to win the Premier League, get into the Champions League and possibly win that, et cetera, et cetera. It's down to the who pays the wages, you know? I know everyone wants to play for their country, but if you're not getting paid and you're getting a, a cap or whatever it is, I think that's where it comes now to. Yeah, I mean, there is a, an anecdotal story in the papers this week about Sven-Goran Eriksson saying that when he was picking Rooney, of course, uh, when he was playing for Manchester United and picking Rooney for the England team, he said he used to get seven o'clock in the morning calls from a very angry um, Alex Ferguson. And he said he was always angry at that time of the morning and uh, I think probably a hangover or something but he was always angry in the mornings and would call up and said if you select Wayne I will kill you you are finished <laughs> now Ericsson said that this was quite a regular event but he said that as as England manager you know he had to pick who he thought was going to be best and he would have to say what's the matter with you F off uh, I'm not sure if anybody's actually told Sir Alex to, to F off so I can I can imagine him saying threatening to off him if he selected Rooney but that's the point that Mitch was making and that, you know nobody wants to get injured for England because it's the club that pays the wages and you're going to get the glory you're going to get to at least even, even a Tottenham player can get to a Champions League final whereas an England player very rarely going to get to a, a final I'm not sure if, it, if, if it's true or not if it's actually a fact but I have the feeling that we play more internationals than we used to play before and th- there is an old uh, you know an old saying that I, I was told when I was a lad playing football that a striker has 500 productive games in him 500 and if you're going to lose a fifth of those to internationals then you go back to Mitch's point about who's paying him you know you've got a huge imbalance there you know someone's paying him 200 grand a week but I'm not going to have him for 20% of his his career that's actually quite true Jeff uh, we are playing more internationals uh, on average Previously to the oh god 1990s, we were playing somewhere between four and six per annum. Now we're playing between six and eight per annum. So there, there is a difference. Yeah, there is definitely bit. an increase. Probably more pressure now than back in the 80s and 90s as well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, although in saying that, it's easier to qualify now for tournaments. If I mean, if you look at past tournaments, you'd always have to finish top of your group out of a group of four. Um, whereas now you can can quite conceivably finish third in a five-team group and still qualify for a tournament. Part of that is because there are now more more countries playing football. Yeah, with the breakup of the Soviet Union. 
That's true. That is true. But I just think the way things are going, the way the structure is with the leagues and everything, it's... I don't know. I, I don't know what the fight, the actual proper answer is, the solution. But Well, as we don't have an answer for that, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on to the Premier League. We've said on this show, Steve, Kenneth Kenton and Jeff Saunders and myself uh, previously called it the Everton Cup. The race for seventh, but Everton aren't in it. They, no. they seem to have been <laughs> knocked out quite early of their own cup. We've talked on this show endlessly and we still will because it is hot news. Pochettino and Solskjaer, who's going to get sacked first? But Silva, Silva Everton. at Everton. Yeah. He's under massive, massive pressure. He's got to be the. He's got to be on the way out, surely. I think he is, and I think the reason why why he will go is the reason why it's all gone wrong in the first place. The reason he was successful last season and and before that was because of his number two Portuguese guy. He left at the end of the season, and he's, the Portuguese team he's taken taken over, who have a home ground with a five thousand capacity, are now top of the Portuguese Premier League. That's right. It's it's the assistant. They got the wrong guy. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with Jeff here. Um, they're, 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 I mean, you, if you look at Everton, Everton have got quality players. They should be sitting around the mid-table mark. I mean, at the moment, what are they, fifth from bottom? There are glaring warning signs that I think unless they change manager and bring in some fresh blood pretty swiftly they're going to be fighting for a bottom three place. Yes, I mean, they should be. With the signings they made in the transfer market, we all said that they're going to be looking at pushing for, never mind seventh, fifth and sixth, and possibly mm. even higher. And to be honest, as a Tottenham fan, you know, Tottenham have made way for other teams to, to have that opportunity <laughs> to finish fourth, and Everton should have been up there. They've, they've got some great players, so they keep telling us, mm. so their fans keep banging on about. They did make some big signings intelligent signings is it because Silva is made out to be better than he actually is is, is, he, out, is he out of his depth that's what I I'm think, saying I think he is out of his I think he's getting found out I think when he was at Watford he had a, a team that were big strong players you know that would just barge through everything whereas now he's at Everton they're, they're a bit namby-pamby in the way they do things and I think any manager, and this is just, you just mentioned earlier about has he signed big signings and all the rest of it as an Arsenal fan for me the biggest result of the season wasn't watching Tottenham get beat seven odd by Bayern Munich the other night. It was Arsenal getting 35 million plus add-ons up to 43 million for Alex Iwobi. That is, that's the transfer of the decade. That really has to be for someone who couldn't hit a barn door. You look at the signings he's made. He signed Iwobi and he signed um, the midfielder. But anyway, he spent, again, he spent about Well, he, he paid was it Barcelona for Gomez, but Gomez was there on loan. He was already there on loan. On loan, yeah. But and, cut, yeah. and Walcott. Who? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a player. There's a player. He's who, a promising young player. Absolutely. There's a player who was. You know, they Arsenal signed him from Southampton with all the promise in the world, and he did have a few good games at Arsenal. He did. And then he's just disappeared off the face of the earth. There used to be an expression in English, didn't there? Sending somebody to Coventry, which means yeah, you're not talking to them. Disappearing off the face of the earth is now going to be called going to Everton. I, I'm sorry, I'm going to contradict Mitch here. There is nothing this season that will top Spurs being beaten 7-2 by Bayern Munich and then getting done 3-0. I mean, I hear you can't beat Brighton this time of year anyway. Let's move on then. We talked about Everton. What about Watford? Because we all think that they're better than the position that they're in. Yeah. Why? Because we just like them. <laughs> They've got a squad of very good players. They're creative. Mm. They, they're just, at the moment, for some reason, not putting the goals away. They're, but, they're utterly disorganised. I don't know about that, but I, I think that we have to check this. Mm. But I think 
no team has had more shots on the opposition goal from within I the penalty right, area Jeff. than Watford yeah. this season. And yet they haven't got the goals for it. Hmm. Just, I think it's just bad luck at the moment. I think eventually it will click. They are a good squad of players. Not much different from the year or two before when Silver was there. They play the same style of football. All right, they've brought the same previous manager back. I never think that's a good idea. But they've done what they've done. They'll be okay. They've also got Danny Welbeck, when he's fit, on his day, is as good as anybody else. And I think Watford will be okay. I think they'll probably finish. If it clicks and they get a run together, they're, they're looking at mid-table, maybe just above that, like I they did so. last season. Yeah. You know, they're, they're a good side. They're a very yeah. good side. They've just been unlucky. And your luck will change eventually. All right then, chaps. Let's turn our attention to the forthcoming fixtures in the Premier League. Uh, we're going to start with Everton against West Ham because we've got Jeff, who is a West Ham fan, and we've just been talking about Everton and all their big signings and how they're struggling. Uh, will they continue the struggle against West Ham? I think they will, yeah. I think West Ham should be too good for them in every area of the pitch, really. And Silva, he, he gives every appearance of having lost the dressing room. Despite who, the, who West Ham are playing, I can actually see West Ham finishing in the top six. They are that good this season. I really fancy them. I think 8th to 6th. For 6th, the defence would have to get a whole lot better very quickly. Possibly, yeah. But they're, they're a very, very good side. Very tough to beat. They're, they're not tough to beat. They've probably got, apart from City, the best midfield. And you add the forwards into it and it's it's very, very good indeed. But the defence is yeah. poor. Great goalkeeper when Fabianski's back. But mm. and it, it, Isn't it strange? I mean, Fabianski couldn't, you know, couldn't catch a cold at Arsenal. No, no. And yet... Talking. West Ham, even at uh, a previous club, Swansea. It's fantastic. Well, if you look at the stats from last season for goalkeepers, he was actually the best. It makes you wonder, actually, what was going on uh, uh, with the coaching at Arsenal in relation to the goalkeeping, well, because there seems to be a consistent problem at Arsenal with goalkeepers. Well, I, I think that for the last few years, there's been a consistent problem at Arsenal in defence as a whole. It's Yeah, it doesn't uh, matter who you've got in, no. that, in goal. I'm not being funny. If, you, if your defence is got a back four like a lump of Swiss cheese no matter who's in goal the days of yeah. David Seaman and that yeah. back four which in my opinion is one of the best ever oh absolutely um, yeah. doesn't matter who's in goal but so, Flabianski so, is I think he's one of the top goalkeepers in Europe yeah. highly underrated highly underappreciated as well yeah, I think he's in the top five in Europe yeah, yeah. yeah I mean link, linking uh, Fabianski and, and Arsenal they've got Sheffield United on um, on Monday uh, Monday night and you know what Sheffield United could turn Arsenal over so flimsy at the back it's frightening I mean it, you know they're a really porous defence the, the funny thing is though I think they've only conceded one goal in the last four their last four games but I think that's papering over the cracks somewhat what do you think then Sheffield United long way to go tough I, game I do agree with Steve that the back four at the moment does look a bit rocky. Shall we say they look like England? Yeah. <laughs> That's how but, bad they are. But And I'm not going to be biased because I do follow Arsenal, but with Bellerin back, we've got Tierney on the other side, Rob Holdings back to fitness. I don't think the back four will be the same. But going back to Sheffield United, they haven't met Lacazette and Aubameyang yet. we we'll go thing. for an Arsenal win. I think comfortably. I think Arsenal win 3-0. All right, let's move on to Manchester City. Lost last time out to Wolverhampton Wanderers 2-0 at home. They are away from home city. They're playing Crystal Palace, mid-table team who never seem to do, achieve very much apart from just staying in the Premier League. But, you know, they've got a steady manager. They're doing a steady job in the league. Palace against City. I really feel City are going to come back strong, as they did when they lost to Norwich. They lost to Norwich, and next week they won their next game 8-0. So I pity poor Palace. I don't think Palace are going to be the pushover that you think they might be. Um, Palace are, are actually a half-decent side. They're well-organised. And I don't think City are firing on all, all cylinders either. You know, if Fernandinho starts for City, then obviously... I, I think I think we could well be looking at a draw on this one. 
I Potentially. Think, I also think with City, they're not the same team if De Bruyne's not there. I think if De Bruyne's there, mm. they have that momentum, that flair. I think when someone else comes into the middle and takes over that role, they're not quite the same. And I think when he's not there, I think Guardiola struggles. I'm not saying struggles in the sense he doesn't know what he's doing. Obviously, he does. But when you have one linchpin that everything evolves around and you take that out, it does different things. It doesn't. It's not the same. Well, I mean, he's he's, he's played without De Bruyne. He's played without Fernandinho and they're... they're capitulated but all teams have a linchpin of some kind you know they can Liverpool at the moment they can they can drop Mar- uh, Mane could fall out of the team but they've still got Salah and someone else comes in but with City they are a fantastic team a fantastic squad but Lenchenko his name is he's not the same you can't put him in there if De Bruyne is not playing but we, we say that about Liverpool what if they lost Van Dijk because Van Dijk is extremely important to Liverpool How, if Liverpool lose him their, their defence is not half the defence that it ordinarily would be well yeah but that's a that's a complete hypothetical isn't it uh, actually I think uh, the way things are at the moment in Liverpool with their confidence mm. they could they could ride through two or three games without him yeah. to be honest the thing with City you, you say Fernandinho wasn't playing well he has been he's been playing centre back yeah. and Rodrigo who, who came in at and they miss Laporta as well he's they, made a oh, they really miss massive Laporte. difference he's, massive yeah, difference huge difference yeah uh, because they're having to reply, rely on Otamendi and you know oh. you're, you're in big trouble <laughs> you don't, I mean Otamendi <laughs> David Luiz Arsenal what's yeah. the difference <laughs> uh, well the difference is one of them can play football well and, no Luiz can play football but Luis David does Luiz. go wandering sometimes well, David you know. Luiz is not a defender no and, he's not uh, and he's playing in the middle of defence yeah. yeah, and that's the problem I agree with Chris I think um, City will do Palace do you think so I don't think it'll be a walk in the park I think it'll be close no it won't be a walk in the park because no one gets a walk in the park at Palace no that's right Palace. and they're a physical team they're a physical team but I think City I think will with Palace them. if you can snuff out Zaha you've got half a chance. But they're, they're not a mug side and Hodgson's been round the block many times and I think yeah. that's got a draw written all over it. Palace will attempt to snuff them out. They'll dull their creativity, but I think City will edge it. I think there'll be goals in it. I don't think it'll be an 8-0 drubbing or anything like that. It'll be a lot closer than that. I think there'll be one or two goals in it and I think City will win that one. However, let's move on to my team, Tottenham Hotspur, who are all over the place in the dressing room. Quite clearly there are problems there. Will he stay or will he go? Pochettino, Deli Alley out of the England squad and Roy Keane, a legendary big mouth. Roy Keane is saying that Deli Alley might have to consider the fact he'll never play for England again. I mean, this is Roy Keane, of course, you know. Deli Alley has hired a nutritionist. He's cut down on his commercial appearances. But that is not what's going on at Tottenham. That's not the problem. They have a chance to right the wrongs against Watford. They've had an international break. Some of the players have done very well on the international break. A few goals in it for Tongan, for example, scored on the international break. Deli Alley had a rest because he wasn't even in the squad. Is this the one? Is our Tottenham finally going to win a game? No. You th- Steve, <laughs> you really think Watford are going to win away at Spurs? Yeah. I do. Um, Spurs are in all sorts of trouble at the moment, aren't they? And look, you know, as as we've discussed, Watford actually are a better side than their current position would tell you. You know, they they are a de- they've got decent players. Um, Spurs are in all sorts of problems at the moment. You know, Harry Kane coming back just from international duty, amongst others. I I, I really think Spurs are in a lot of trouble. I think Spurs could could go into free fall. I think also with Tottenham, they're missing a goalkeeper. Remember, Lloris is out now. He's mm. out minimum, what? What are they talking about? Christmas, January? Giza nigger in goal. But I think with Spurs, there are obviously a lot of things going on behind the scenes. Probably say a draw, I think. Which wouldn't appease Tottenham fans. But at the moment, the way they're playing, they'd probably take it. I understand what you're saying, but I think 
Pochettino is a good enough man manager that he can he can get them playing again. But I against a team like Watford, who are just I, yeah, you know, know big I, physical I, team, you know. Yeah, I know, but I think I, I think he can get get the players motivated. Mm. I think if he can't, then he's probably got to go. Because yeah, he's go got where, to, well, exactly. <laughs> but he's he's got to show that he can turn this round. Otherwise, nobody's going to hire him as a manager. Aren't no, they? no. Because that, that you go through the squad, player for player. Watford have got some very good players, but Spurs are are ahead in every position. Of course, yeah. So if they don't play, you have to look at the manager, don't you? There are the players there. Levy can say, "Look, I gave you the money. Here they are. What are you doing?" And he's got to turn it round. And I think with the the time there's been. Bef- between the the Brighton game and now, he will have done that. I, I don't think he can turn this round because there's there's a lot of dissension in the ranks within the dressing room as well, given the current alleged situation between a couple of their players. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that, that that will have a big impact. And, you know, it, I, I don't think we can underestimate how much damage that can do. You know, if you've got a split dressing room, you've got a split team, I don't think any manager... Can, you know, apart from maybe a, an Alex Ferguson, would be able to turn something Steve, like that. Steve, so we don't easily. have to imagine it. We've seen it. <laughs> I mean, we've actually watched it happen, haven't yeah. we, in front of us. You don't need imagination for it. The, the question is, can he turn that round? And just think of it from the point of view of, of a lot of those players. I mean, a mm. few of those players, maybe five of them, want to leave anyway. Well, you don't leave if you're playing badly because nobody's going to buy you, are they? You, no. they've got, you know, he's, he's got to say to them, look, I know you want to go, but your best way of going is, is to make us win. Oh, I just I can't see that happening. I really think Spurs are going to go into free fall. I can see him finishing bottom half of the table. No, I think you'll find... Uh, he will turn it round yeah. I think some issues will be resolved in the next few weeks and we're not far off the January transfer window when a lot of them will be going and because, uh, we've got players out. coming back from injury as well Ericsson's so. out contract at the end of the season yes. I think Alderweireld yep. is another one I don't know if Fatonga's contract is up at all but he's um, another one then there's uh, Danny Rose wanted to leave well, Danny Rose doesn't want to play football does he just no, wants to pick wages he's up not a happy week. chap yeah. but um, I did hear something a little while back how true it is I don't know that a few games back it wasn't Pochettino that picked the team, that Daniel Levy is getting involved in training. Jeff actually mentioned on last week's show that there was a little bit of a problem regarding Pochettino not turning up for training and yeah. watching it on CCTV and Daniel Levy picked, in it his office. It was before the bad game against uh, Bayern Munich, it was a couple of games back, that Levy was taking training and picking the team. I can't. I find that very hard to believe. All right, let's, let's anyway. move on before we get ourselves into any trouble and we can't afford lawyers. Let's move on to We've two... We've got nothing two, to take anyway. Two big games, <laughs> yes. They've got to, we're not even using microphones, we're just using rolled up bits of newspaper. Two big games coming up, the last two we want to discuss on this show. Two very terrible teams and two very good teams. We've got Chelsea against Newcastle and Manchester United against Liverpool. Chelsea have come coming good under Lampard. Yeah. I think we all need to agree that this whole thing, he has to play the young players, that's why. He doesn't have to play them, he is playing them. Hmm. So it's credit to Lampard for playing the young players. He's not been forced to play them, they're part of his squad. He's only lost a couple of players, and Arsenal are very grateful for one of those, I'm sure. He's only lost two players, really, and he's got all these great youth players. He's using them. Mm. Chelsea against Newcastle. Who are, Jeff? What's a Newcastle? They're a terrible team. Terrible. Start with you, then. Chelsea against Newcastle, and then we'll go around the table, and then we'll come back around the table with Man United against Liverpool. Just to kill this stupid thing that people are saying, that Lampard has to play these players because of the transfer ban, is a load of rubbish. They they lost Eden Hazard and they'd already replaced him with Pulisic in the previous transfer window, and and he's playing four young players. Net loss of one player and he's playing four of them. He's playing them because he chooses to because they're better, and I think they'll win quite comfortably. Yeah, I, I I'm with Jeff on this. First of all, Newcastle 
utterly terrible team. I, I completely endorse everything that Jeff's just said. With regard to Lampard, I mean, there were, there were calls with it after a couple of games for his head. I know it was done in, uh, meant to be some form of joke or satire or whatever. You know, Lampard needs a good couple of seasons. And to be honest, he's actually proven to be a, a, a pretty decent manager at the moment. Do it, he's doing very well down there. I mean, I've got a lot of time for the guy. I think he's um, he was an excellent player. I think as a manager... He's done very well so far. I think in the long run, he'll be good for Chelsea. I'm not sure you, you could say he's a, he's a really, really good manager yet. But one he's been thing, good up to now. But, but one thing he has now. shown at Derby last year and this season is he learns as yes. he goes along. Yeah. He's getting better all the time yeah. and you can exactly. see it. Exactly. And his team's getting better. I look at Lampard and what I'm looking at there is a future England manager, to be honest with you. That's I can see him managing England eventually. When he's sixty-five, <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I think I, I really think give it four or five seasons. I reckon he could end up managing no, England. No, 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 he's too young, and I think he's got. If he done well at Chelsea, he goes on in a season or two, wins the Premier League, then the clubs in Europe will be in looking Barcelona, at him. Yeah. In Barcelona, the Real Madrid, the Bayern Munich, the big clubs around Europe will be looking at him. I think an England job is for someone whose career's either dived Look, or it, is ended, and they just want absolutely to just right. find. It, it's, yeah. a, it's a part-time job, it's let's be honest. part-time job, yeah. Lampard doing well. And uh, last one is Manchester United, Jeff's favourite team to hate, against <laughs> Liverpool, who are just spectacular this season, unbeaten. Yeah. And not only unbeaten, they've won every game. Is there just one outcome of that game? Because a few journalists, respectable journalists, are saying that if he doesn't, if Solskjaer doesn't at least come away with a draw, he will be sacked. And Manchester United against Liverpool is one of the oldest and biggest rivalries in football. You don't want that as your Can't, last game, though, do you? You don't want that as your last <laughs> game. It, it, it was Mourinho's last game. When he first came in, they're on a crest of a wave, new manager, it sort of kickstarts everything. And then once you start bedding it down, I think they've got their issues in the dressing room as well with the likes of the Pogbas and those sort of players. I think this could be his last game if it, if it is really bad. If it's a five, four, five, six nil sort of game, a humiliation, I think he could be on the next ferry back to mould. The problem with sacking him is who's going to sack him? Answer, Woodward. Woodward. Who, who hired him? Woodward. Woodward. <laughs> who hired the previous manager? Woodward. And the one before that? Woodward. The one before that. So, Woodward. So how, ma- how many times can he fire a manager without resigning? The shareholders at some point are going to say, look, we're giving you this money, £892 million since Ferguson left. And they're saying, oh, we need at least three transfer windows to build. We gave you 900 million quid. The reality is, yeah, Wood- Woodward probably should um, sack himself, putting it bluntly, because ultimately he's the man who's doing the hiring and firing, four or five managers down the line, still no... No improvement. There isn't an improvement. If anything, Man United has taken a step backward. Solskjaer, is he a poor manager? Do you know what? I don't know. I What's really he done? I, what has he done? He, he, he managed Cardiff uh, and to be, uh, they, they went down. And he went to managed Mould. Mould and or... Mould were doing okay. Have you seen the Norwegian league lately? The thing I think about Solskjaer and it's the thing that makes it such a strange appointment, a permanent appointment. I, I understand the, the argument for the interim appointment you know, feel good and all this sort of stuff and let's bring back all these nice feelings about Manchester United's history, etc, etc. Let's live in the past. Yeah, exactly. But with Mourinho, they hired a man who is a park-the-bus counter-attacking manager. That's mm. his shtick. And it, he is the best manager in the world. And he gets that, results. He gets at results. that. Well, I, I question whether he gets results anymore. And, and I think, I think that's because everyone's you know, worked out how he works. Well, the, the, yeah. no, it's just the world's moved on. Mm. The football world has moved on. That, that doesn't win you things anymore. So having decided to get rid of the best part of the bus attack, counter-attacking 
managers to then go to someone who's not as good at it as him yeah was a bizarre decision yeah especially when i think Solskjaer, if i remember rightly was the second choice that man united want they wanted pochettino a year or so ago well, is that the future answer for manchester united will pochettino if he fails at tottenham go to manchester united is that a step back for him in the sense of where the teams are at the moment. At, at the moment, yes, it's a step backwards or downwards for Pochettino, definitely. No question. I, I, I can see Allegri going to Manchester United. Well, that's, that, that, was the story, that was the story last two weeks, wasn't it? When Allegri was in London for some unspecified reason. Yeah. And, 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 and announced that he was um, taking English lessons. Guys, that leads us to the end of the show. But before we round it up completely, we have got the answer to Jeff's trivia question. And just before that, because we have got our two Arsenal fans in here, a big shout out to ex-Arsenal goalkeeper Peter Cech, who is now a shot stopper for Guildford Phoenix. Yeah, he's an ice hockey player. Saved two penalties last night. Would you like him back? <laughs> he saved more penalties last night than he saved for us in his entire career at Arsenal. Okay, well, yes. the question was, um, given that um, some other players have scored six, seven, nine goals in, in top flight matches, why is Morgan Gams-Peterson's six goals unique? And the answer is because they were all direct from a corner in the same match. Four right foot, two left foot. I remember watching on the ball the, the ITV Saturday lunchtime football programme many, many years ago. And there was an argument between George Best and Brian Clough, where Clough said you couldn't score direct from a corner. So Best said, he made a bet with him that he could. And he said, and I'll do it on Saturday. And he did. Fantastic stuff. That is all we've got time for. Just to repeat that this Saturday, the 19th at Scandals, lounge bar and restaurant in Calahonda on the Costa del Sol. John Gidman and Steve Staunton, both ex-football players, of course, Liverpool, Man United, Aston Villa. They will be giving a question and answer evening, a fun evening of football for just €25. Euros. You've got a book to guarantee your place. It's all for prostate cancer. You can find a Scandals on their Facebook page, Scandals Bar Lounge and Restaurant. Uh, we need to say a big thank you to 93.6 Global Radio. Also, big shout out to Leon, Countryman and Mr. Maff at Deep Sound Radio. Thank you for having us. And of course, Mitch, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. You're welcome. At Jeff Saunders. Thank you, Chris. And uh, Steve Kenners-Kenton, back with a vengeance. Thank you very much, coin sir. That has been episode 20 of Carl and Kenners hitting the bar. We'll be back next week with episode 21. Do join us for the football podcast. You've been listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Join us again next week for more of their twisted football news, all of their weird football views. You can find them here every week on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. We'll see you again shortly.